home for sports. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome back in. you got ESPN 1000, so glad you're with us this morning. Mark Zander, Brian Hanley, and uh, we are a day away from MLB, apparently following through with their threat to cancel uh, the opening season games and uh, put pressure on the Players Union to get an agreement. But it's their lockout, and it's their deadline. And um, Hey, get to- back. Get back to the negotiation table. <laughs> See what I did there? Nicely. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Nicely okay. done with the uh, – with the music, uh, but yeah, it's uh, things fell fell apart last night to the point where the players weren't even sure they were going to get back to the table today. But I think they understand that public opinion is firmly on their side, and we bring in Jesse Rogers, the uh, ESPN 1000 baseball expert, and uh, follow him on Twitter because he'll give you up to date uh, updates on the talks such as they are. Jesse, uh, good hey, Jesse, what's going on down there? <laughs> Good question. What is going on in that? He's world? on another. Jesse, you're on another planet with what's happening there, right? Jupiter, Florida. Yeah, yeah, it's appropriately named for sure. I mean, they spend hours and hours and hours inside there and come out with very little progress. It's, it's just, it's insane. They continue to basically talk past each other. No better example of that than um, the union moving on two big issues in their mind. But there are issues that the league is not even interested in talking about. And it's Super 2 and revenue sharing. We don't want to get in the weeds because there's just too much there. But it, it's, it's a great example. Uh, the league says, oh, we're not even talking about those two things, while the union is negotiating basically um, uh, with themselves on it. it it's yep. crazy. And yeah. so there's all these other issues that they could negotiate on that they're not. Um, the main, main ones being minimum salary and, and, the, and the competitive balance tax. So, you know. I don't know if sort of take this thing to the brink is is the strategy or part of the strategy, but it certainly sounds like it, it's it's uh, baked into the process here on both sides. The brink meaning Monday or well past it. I, I don't know exactly. Um, a lot of people that do think that Scott Boris might be pulling some strings. The a classic Scott Boris negotiation would end tomorrow night at 11 p.m. with a deal. So I guess you can still hold out hope because five of the executive board members among the players are Boris clients, that that's going to happen. But it certainly doesn't sound that way. It just doesn't sound like there's any momentum towards a deal by tomorrow night. And I'm Jesse, with you, Jess. Yeah. You don't want to get in the weeds on this because it's percentages yeah. this and uh, you know, yeah. top two players that. And, but it, when the players seem you know, to put a proposal together and – the owners are insulted to the point where they actually go back on things they had offered. They actually, you know, cut their offer. Just, it's like a middle finger. Like, you know, that's not a serious offer. So if you don't want to be serious then we'll, we'll give you something that you'll laugh at as well. And my, my question is, is that line in the sand, you know, cement? It's moving. I mean, will, will yeah. they cancel games tomorrow and not make them up? And if they do, when the players realize they're going to lose salary, what happens then? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Um, I think so. I can't say for sure because, look, if they revealed it to any reporter, they'd lose all the leverage. You know, you can't you right. can't make a deadline and then say quietly, yeah, it's not really a deadline, right? So the way they said it, as emphatic as they were, they'd really have to be going back on their word. Now, it has to be negotiated. Let's say they come to a deal in a week. The, the union could, could draw a line in the sand as well and say, we're not going back under this new agreement unless we make up the games. 
So it works both ways. So I don't know if that'll change or not. Uh, I'm going to believe the league until until something else happens. They they wanted to create a deadline. They're just tired. They didn't know what the union's deadline was. They wanted to create a deadline, so they've done that. But it it, it hasn't really um, you know turned into something positive in terms of momentum towards a, towards a deal. And they're just so far apart on so many things now. There is the feeling a lot of them can move fast, but they can't move that fast, I don't think. Um, they have to go back to owners and talk to them when they get a new proposal. The players have to go back and do Zooms with their player reps. Um, but, look, it had been nice if they had knocked off a couple things. They were close to knocking out the draft, and then they realized one side was talking about a, a, a new draft based on a 14-team postseason because now you have you know 16 teams in the lottery. And the other side was talking about a 12-team postseason with 18 teams in the lottery, and and they couldn't come to an agreement because of that. So dysfunction, distrust, all of this stuff is permeating things this week, and um, it's probably going to result in some cancellations starting Tuesday. Jesse, um, have you seen anything more contentious than this round of uh, uh, talks this year? I mean, no. To me, it's it's more surreal than contentious. Now, I know inside the room there's, there's vigorous debate and um, you know, somebody said that Garrett Cole had left the meetings and if, if someone said, cause he's kind of a hothead, if Garrett Cole had stayed, um, he would have gone across the table, one of the, the league negotiators. So mm. it is, it is contentious, mm. but it's, it's more surreal. I, I, I got to borrow my buddy, Jeff Passon's line that still, um, works. One side's talking French and the other side is talking Spanish. It's just insane. They, they're both making sense within their own rooms. But when they get in the same room, they don't make any sense to each other, and that's where we stand. Now, the minimum salary issue, this yeah. is driving me nuts because, uh, you know, I went on MLB.com, and I'm looking at, or actually Spot Track, and I'm looking at the top 10 compensated players, and the money is ridiculous. And, and we all know about what happened in San Diego with Fernando Tatis Jr. That is a small market team. So, the money is there. Why are the owners dragging their feet on this minimum salary issue? It doesn't make sense. Outside, I don't know why they're dragging their feet. I agree with you. I think put a seven in front of that figure. It'd be a goodwill gesture. It might jumpstart some other conversations. Now, they will say you can't just do necessarily one at a time. It's the whole proposal in itself. Like, okay, if the, if the minimum salary is going to be seven-something, then your pre-arbitration bonus pool is going to get less. Now we're starting to get into the weeds, like Brian yeah. was saying. So mm. it, it's it's all tied together. But at this point, we're late in the game. You need a good faith gesture on one side mm. or the other. And I think it's it's incumbent on the owners to be the, the big boys in the room and say, okay, you're right. It's the lowest minimum salary in sports. Let's start at 700. Now, where can we negotiate on another side, You know, on another issue that we want you to move on? And that's how you negotiate. That's how yeah. you bargain. And, and maybe no one's happy at the end of the day, but you have an agreement and you can shake hands and start to play baseball. Yeah, you know, I, I was on a negotiating committee at the Sun-Times, you know, a, diff- a lifetime ago. Uh, and we were getting 2% raises, 1% raises annually, I think, you know. And, and so one year we got 0%. So I decided to get on the committee and I'd never seen anything like it. You talk about contentious. And one day we were waiting for management, one their lawyer, was coming back from her lake house in Michigan or Wisconsin. And she was three hours late and we're sitting in the room. I'm like, okay, you know, you have multiple residences and we're trying to get 1% out of you. And so it was just, it's all, 
it's all you know stay uh, you know people trying to take leverage and and not respect each yeah. other my question is that the players seem unified whether it's a scott boris driven production or not yeah. usually it's like mark said it's it's the haves and the have nots and there's really no middle class in baseball anymore right i mean and the guys making gazillion dollars don't really care. They forgot that they were starving players once who were starting, you know, relatively speaking. It, yeah. Am I wrong or are the players really unified here? No, they're pretty unified. I mean, Manfred is a good unifying force, right? Um, yeah. They're pretty unified. But I, I will say, I, I, after the league came out, and, and this was certainly strategic by the league, and said, Monday's the deadline, you'll start missing paychecks, and you will not be paid, you know, made up. Um, I texted some agents, and they gave me the, the, the answer you'd expect. They're veteran players under contract, not as nervous as the young players. So the, the, the longer we go here, the more nervous these young players are going to get. Can they keep the rank and file in line? That's a big question, and certainly yeah. one the owners would love to see, you know, answer in their direction, meaning, you know, at some point, players are going to be like, let's play. Um and, and I, I, you know, the problem is it's the bigger guys on the committee. It's the Max Scherzers. It's the guys that make a lot of money. Marcus Simeon's on the committee, mm-hmm. Zach Britton. So there's this dynamic that are all the players aligned? Probably not. There's 1,200 players. Are all the owners even aligned with 30? And the answer is probably not. But it's Rob Manfred's job to, to keep them aligned, and it certainly is Max Scherzer and, and uh, Tony Clark's job to keep the players aligned. But how long can they do that? It is an incredible, fascinating game of chicken, high-stakes poker that's going on here. And it's only going to get worse once they start canceling games. Because once you throw that dynamic in, players are going to get upset. Owners might get punitive. They might, get, they might take things off the table, for all we know. So let's, let's cool our heads. Have to prevail. prevail yeah. But it's hard to see that path right now. Jesse, um, are you getting a sense that the owners, either side, are understanding the possible damage this could cost Major League Baseball no. with the fans? No, not really. I, you know, I think Sylvia or someone asked me that the other day, and it's unfortunate, but no. Um, they're so hunkered down into these negotiations, they really haven't been talking publicly about that bigger picture. I'm sure they will come Tuesday. Both sides will, you know, lament the fans and all that stuff. But no, I don't think they're in. Let's put it this way. When they're in the room together, I don't think they're saying, man, we're going to lose a lot of fans. I don't think they're, they're saying that. I mean, I'm insulated. not in the room, so I don't know. Insulated. But it, yeah. it doesn't feel like that's part of the vibe inside. Well, it seems to me fans don't want 14 playoff teams, no matter how much money that generates for ownership. Uh, do you get that sense that this, you know, the, the more is better uh, belief because it means more money for the owners? Are, you know, is that damage to the game, big picture? Well, because Yeah. It's funny. We were talking to a league official on background the other day, about 10 of us, and that came up, and he looked at me and said, well, Jesse's bosses sure want 14 because ESPN has all those extra games. Sure. But, but you're not wrong. Um, they think 14 is a joke. They think 14's in joke. Not not so much for the sanctity of the regular season. It's because it, you know with with players, it's about money. It's the fact that who's going to really spend on payroll if 14 make it? You can have a crappy 74 yep. win team that you're trying to squeeze 80 wins out of and make the playoffs, and all of a sudden you're a genius because you made the playoffs two years in a row, you know, with maybe 80 to 81 wins. That's what the players are worried about. You're not going. Teams are going to stop spending, not spend more because it, it, it's going to be fairly easy. Now, you can make the case a 70-win team might spend to get to 80, 
but they'll probably spend uh, uh, on a mid-level not guy, not on Carlos Correa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you need Carlos Correa to get to 90 wins. So, there's yeah, the, the players hate the 14 teams. I'm, I'm sure the fans do too, probably because of the you know the sanctity of the regular season with the fans. But the the players know it's just going to stop spending because you know everybody makes the playoffs. There was one that am I reading this right? So now, it, if the Major League Baseball wants to change a rule, they have to give a year's notice to the association, right? And that one yeah. of their the, the owners, the, or Manfred, I suppose, wants we just give you forty five days notice and we go ahead and unilaterally, I don't know if you add a pitch clock or whatever you're going to do. So within the season, you could make up rules and change rules, and we've seen that to a degree already. Am I reading that right? Yes, you are. Now there'd be a committee comprised of six. League officials, I believe, two union officials and one umpire. They actually said. Now I don't know if you're getting to the to the to the fact that that's an awful idea. I, I don't think it's that awful. I mean, it kind of worked last year when they when they took the sticky stuff out and it, it leveled off the playing field a little bit. And this game is so messed up that they they probably don't need to wait here. But what I would have done if I was the union. I would have used that as leverage because, first of all, the rule changes Mm -hmm. are probably going to help the game. But the union should have said, "Okay, if you're going to change the rules of changing the rules, if you get what I mean, (laughs) then give us something in return. Because ultimately, changing the rules should help the game, which should help the players. But they should have used that as leverage. And instead, they took that as an insult. And that is a great example of the mistrust between the sides. And the disconnect. Yes. And, And that's why we find ourselves where we're at. What's the expectation for today? Have you bought timeshare in Jupiter? Or how long are you going to be down there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, la- he doesn't have time to sit in those meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Laundry is getting a little, uh, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I'm getting at? Um, look, there's two things that could happen. I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to be a cop. I mean, my guess is it, it's, it's, it, nothing good happens. That's my guess. It, it, sometimes negotiation can bottom out and then only, only you can only, you can only go up from there. And that could possibly maybe be the case after yesterday. It doesn't sound like that. Someone would have to come up with with something new um, on, on some of the issues they're actually willing to negotiate on, not Super 2 or something. So I guess there's some glimmer. I mean, they're going to be in the same building, going to be in the same room. You can never say never. But um, even if they check off one thing, let's say they get back to the draft and check that off, they have so many more other things to get going. The hope was – check off one and provide momentum for others. And that just hasn't happened. Right. And not take back what you've already put on the table. Yeah. That, that, that would help as well. And at this late date, that would certainly help. <laughs> well, I tell you the, the one baseball uh, negotiation I covered was uh, Donald fear. It was upstate New York. I think he lived across from the country club that they were holding the meetings. in, so he walked, he could walk there. So anyway, Dave Van Dyke, uh, the great uh, baseball scribe from the Sun-Times back in the day when I was at the Sun-Times, he told me, I was there for the NHL uh, Stanley Cup, the Rangers. He said, hey, just take a train, go on up there. It'll be a short meeting, and and you'll be back in Manhattan just in case anything happens. I was there completely overnight. Donald Fears playing the piano in the lobby of the country club at 2 in the morning. (laughs) I mean, it was – there was – they were not, it wasn't a quick meeting and they got nothing accomplished and uh, all the trains stopped going to New York. But I mean, when these things are supposed to happen quickly, they never do. And Donald Trump yeah. was just, you know, they're tinkling the ivies, you know, ivories and, you know, having fun singing karaoke or whatever the hell he was doing. Yeah. Manfred lives down here part-time and he actually has an office in the stadium um, where they're doing this, the Marlins and Cardinals spring facility. So this is kind of his home turf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, but his presence, I think, if he's in the room with the players, it only hurts. It only hurts. Now, I'll, I'll leave you with this, though. Once Tuesday comes, you know, the players are going to go on a social media barrage, right, if they start canceling games. Uh, I, I've said this before. I said in 2020, I'll have the ultimate respect for a player who takes on, one, any owner, let alone his own owner, rather than just using Manfred as a punching bag. Because Manfred is doing the owner's bidding. Sure. So as if Ian Happ, as a player rip of the Cubs, starts tweeting about Tom Ricketts, uh, my respect will go through the roof. But, you know, these guys won't do it. They won't do it. Right. And that's, that's who they need point, to take Jesse. on, their own owners. Rally yeah. the fans around those guys. But that, that they won't do it. Great point. Yep. Jess, enjoy the day. Jesse, uh, thank you. <laughs> I'll be, we'll be following you on Twitter to make sure. It's sunny in Florida. That's all you can count on. Yeah, it- yeah. My bald, my, my, bald head, my bald head has had a nice little tan going, but it's, it's, it's not been a fun week. I, I will say that. It's not been a fun week. I saw week. you on TV last night. You look good. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. You're the one. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Jess. All right. See you, Jess. Thanks, man. Wow. You expect anything yeah. to happen, Mr. Zander? No, 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 I don't. No, I don't, oh, unfortunately. And I just, I, I'm just so disappointed that uh, the owners are so t- tone deaf because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat what I said last week. It is up to the owners to preserve the health and well-being and the future of this game for fans to enjoy. And at the heart of it, I'm a fan. And the, the players are laborers that have... Uh, what is it, an average three-year career, maybe even less if you average everything out. So it's the owners that the onus falls on, and that's why I'm after them. And it just seems like they are not considering their consumer at all. And that's love offensive. To, love to hear what our baseball fans think, 312-332-3776. Some people want a shorter season. Not Maybe not this is the way you anticipate getting it, but uh, what do you think after you heard what Jesse said? Um, anyone criticizing the players, it's the owner's lockout, but it takes two to tangle. 312-332-3776. also want to revisit the uh, the conversation about some of the great coaches and uh, managers that we've seen in this town over the last 30 years mm-hmm. or so because it's a long list. I mean, I covered about six coaches in, in two years with the Blackhawks because they weren't on the great coaches list. Uh, they were getting fired every two months. What, Alpo, right? You, had, oh, uh, Alpo. you were talking to Alpo? Front and center, Dirk Graham, nice player, but uh, you know the players hated him as a coach. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Name a Sutter, Daryl, Brian. I, I covered them as coaches. It was uh, GMs were getting fired. Yeah, we it, there, there was a, care, uh, a, a revolving door on the uh, uh, United Center when it came to hockey back in the day. Um, but yeah, we need to take a break. We'll come back. Take your calls. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. You got ESPN one thousand. Mark Zander, Brian Hanley here, Jake Cantu, our great producer today. So glad you're with us. We're here for another half hour or so, and we've got plenty of time to take your calls. 312-332-3776. You heard what Jesse Rogers had to say, updating us on the talks such as they are down in Jupiter, Florida. And we'd like to know what you think. Don's in Burr Ridge. Good morning, Don. How are you doing? Hey, Don. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Hey, I um, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, well, first of all, the the owners are going to win it. They got all the power in the world, in, in my opinion. Yeah. But I also think that the owners are probably ninety-five percent at fault with what's going on and how how everything's going. Two things that I would do. Well, number one is 
nobody's talking about the extra revenue for the gambling inside the um, the, the ballparks. That's extra revenue that's starting to come in, and I don't know if that's going into anything dealing with um, negotiations. Second of all, one of the things I understand is Major League Baseball makes a ton of extra money or big money in the playoffs. So when the collective bargaining agreement deadline, um, uh, uh, the contract ends, I, if I was the players' union, I would say we're ending it at the end of September. That way they would have more power compared to having an off-season. The off-season gives the power to the, uh, to the owners. Just a couple thoughts out there. And, again, I think the owners are mostly at fault. Uh, the players are just going to take it up the button, and that's how it's going to go. All right. Thanks, Don. It, it's uh, about that painful, I think. It is interesting, the gambling revenue. And, you know, obviously they're built, you know, in Chicago now you can build sports yep. books at, at Wrigley Field, at the United Center, and plans are to underway to yeah, do You that. know, Don, yeah, Don's right. Where, where, Why is that not being part of it? At least it isn't in public. Well, I guess they're looking at if if you raise minimum salaries like you brought up, then you start ahead of the game from where you're at now, and and then they've they've put together like bonus pools for rookies who have awards, you know, are top two or three in rookie of the year. But I mean, that's a very small pool of players. It is a benefit from it that. It is a good. Right? right, the majority of players are not going to see much of a bump up of minimum minimum salary, and these are the players that have, what, a two-, three-year career, if lucky. Yeah, well, I mean, what, in, in football, you're usually talking three or four years. Baseball, you usually get longer than that. But, you, you know, you look at Chris Bryant, and he was ready to go from day one, and they the, the rules allowed the Cubs to keep him down in the minors, and they did exactly that. So they start the clock on him because they yep. didn't want to pay him any sooner than they had to. And, you know, you know right. he's no longer here. Um, let's check in with uh, Matt and Streamwood want to talk about head coaches in this town. We'll get to James with MLB thoughts in a second, but Matt's on the line. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hanley. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for taking my phone call. I totally yeah. disagree with that caller that said that Billy Donovan, Phil Jackson is clearly the best one that we've ever had in the past 30 years. He still had to get that team to buy into his the triangle offense and to win six championships. He was six and all in the finals. He never went to a game seven. So I know he had Michael Jordan, but even the year that Michael Jordan retired, he still took that team to the, uh, to the playoffs in 94 to 95. And Hanley, I wanted to ask you your question. If you remember that season when they went to the 94 and 95 with Scotty Pippen and Tony Kukoc, and we played against the Knicks and Sylvie brought this up in that question on his, on Friday, he said, which team was better the 94, 95 with Scotty Pippen or, you know, DeMar DeRozan this year or with, with, uh, with uh, uh, Derek Rose and, and no, and Joe Kim Noah in the 2011. And I would, if I remember correctly, do you remember that 95, wasn't it, was it not that Hugh Hollins cautioned us that phantom foul yeah, on Scotty yeah, Pippen? Yeah. Was that really a foul? Cause I, I was researching myself cause I thought I had it, you know, my, I remember watching I totally the game and I, I didn't think it was a foul then. And I don't think it's a foul now, but um, that's a, so would you rather, which team you'd rather have in terms of just talent who had the most yeah, talent? He, basically he was, yeah. He was saying like, which one do you think is a better MVP like chance? And I said, I still think, you know, Scotty got a raw deal in that because that phantom foul, who knows what that team could have done against the Pacers in the Eastern Conference final or against the Kim Elijah one and the Houston Rockets in the finals right. that they got so far. So I just, I think the talent, you know, with, with Derek and with Joe Kim Noah, that team just didn't have the talent to go against the heat. You know, we'd only won one game against them and we got <laughs> slaughtered, you know, and I just think with, with Scotty and Tony in the 94, 95 season that they had, they had it, it was, had the rest, the rest took that game from them. 
they would have went. I yeah. thought they would have went all the way to the end. You know, at least had a chance to go to NBA Finals. Who knows what that team could have? So, but clearly, to my point, I think Phil Jackson is the greatest coach that we've had this town because he's six and zero in the NBA Finals. Matt, thanks for your call. Interesting points, uh, as always. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you, Matt. Different era. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's a very different era, and there are a lot of factors that go into that. But as far as uh, overall success, yeah, Phil Jackson, he's on the top of the pile. But the original point being more of a, um, you know, who team, who is team, somebody who is a yeah. professional coach? Because look what we t- – yeah, and, and right, team talent obviously as well. But you know, we just went through the Nagy era, which, uh, by the way, and I want to bring up this poll before we forget. Um, uh, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, two people that we just mentioned last week, saying that they would never be in their positions again as far as a GM and a head coach, and, and they're not, coach, but they yeah. both have jobs now. Yeah, uh, right, and um, Matt Nagy is the KC K- quarterback coach. Um, down with he's going um, back to his uh, own gig. Uh, is what, I mean, uh, he's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, right, right. Which is like uh, okay. And uh, Ryan Pace is now a part of the uh, scouting team in Atlanta. And when we get back, we're going to uh, you know give you the give you the Twitter poll and, and make sure that uh, you get involved or if you want to jump on here. But you know, Matt Nagy was a guy that we had to suffer through trying to trying to decipher what he's actually saying to the media to try to get an insight of what this team is about in in the various years that he was here. But Phil Jackson, great communicator, Lovey Smith as well. You got Joel Quenville, and you have Billy Donovan, and that's where the argument really started. But yes, the this, success I mean, of Phil and and his teams. The, the hiring unmatched. of Pace. I mean, if if I, if I'm Brian Flores, I add this to my lawsuit. I mean, Terry Fontenot worked with Pace, who's a nice guy. Everyone likes him, okay? He, he was a horse bleep GM. So he's now, quote-unquote, senior personnel executive. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, right? And so Terry Fontenot hires, finds a place for his buddy. I don't know what he's paying him. But, you know, they also hired Phil Emery after his disastrous Wait, is that uh, Pace is the official – is that his uh, official I, title? I thought he was just senior on the scouting staff that gave him that title. No, I mean, whatever. I mean, I don't even, they, oh, yeah. Matt okay. Nagy, um, do you think Patrick Mahomes well, – We don't know what that really means. This? Yeah, and, and Andy Reid, you know, and, his, his good old boy and, network. Andy Reid taking care of Matt Nagy, who's a, who's a disaster as a head coach. And I don't think Patrick Mahomes needs a quarterback's coach necessarily. You know, he needs an offensive coordinator no. who can call up, dial up the plays. That ain't going to be Matt Nagy, by the way. So these two guys will never see right. the, the upper echelon jobs that they were awful at. And I don't even know how, you know, the Twitter poll is, okay, which one's going to have more success? I don't even know how you quantify that. Senior personnel director, I would what, what well, does that I, mean? I mean, I, I, he was right, Pace, right. Pace and, was and this is why on the food have, chain down in New Orleans. Right. I don't know. I don't. I don't yeah, and this yeah, is why when we get back, I will I, I will give you my reasons for um, who I'll pick on that poll. But he, you're, you're right. You're right. Uh, Pace has this new job that we don't even know what that really, really means. And it is an old boy network. It's people taking care of their friends. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if you, if, if you looked at anything Pace did here, you say, boy, we need him added to the Falcons uh, staff because he's going to help us get to a Super Bowl. Good luck. 312-332-3776. We'll get back to your calls in just a second. With us, Mark Zander, Brian Hanley, here for another 20 minutes or so. Taking your calls, 312-332-3776. 
And uh, James is in Shreveport, Indiana. And to educate us, yeah. James, where is Shreveport, Indiana? I saw Shreveport immediately. In, I went to Louisiana. Yeah. yeah, I'm Shreveport, Louisiana. So I'm actually driving back from Jackson, Mississippi right now, back over. It's about three hours away. And guys got, got you streaming on the, the listening ESPN app. So I've been okay. looking at you guys for about yeah, Jake said it was Shreveport, Indiana. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. where's that at? Where's yeah. that at? I had What's four that? years going on at one time, so. <laughs> yeah, no gotcha. worries. Yeah, but no, I've been uh, I've been down here for about nine years now, um, you know, lifelong Cubs fan. And no, I just, watching this over time happen, and I, I, I guess I started seeing the owners kind of screw over the fans in 2019 when we have WGN down here. And that went away when Marquee Network bought the Cubs. Then I couldn't yep. see any out-of-market Cubs games. Right. And, then, and then I had to spend hundreds of dollars either on MLB TV. And then the Marquee Network app was not great for Cubs games. I'm, I'm sure they're trying to improve it. But it's MLB TV, which is a cool subscription service, but it's still an additional subscription service that they're trying to get all out-of-market fans like myself to watch games. And then fast forward now to this labor negotiation Seeing the owners really with all the power, like, you know, they, they don't operate in the same world as regular people. Like, we're talking about billionaires, the yep. you know, top 1% of humanity. Like, they don't get to that level without screwing over everybody underneath them. And that includes the players. And so while the big players are making hundreds of millions, the regular players fighting for roster spots are the ones who are really going to get affected. And ultimately, the owners know that, you know, whether a month or two months gets locked out, eventually the players are going to cave because their own union is going to make force them to sign something because the people who are in their first or second year service are going to miss all those game checks. They're not going to be at the show like they need to, and they got bills to pay. And, you know, you look at what the Rays have been able to do over 30, what, $40 million or less in payroll for a decade. Like, that's going to be the model of all these owners hmm. until something happens. And, unfortunately, in a labor negotiation year, a year after COVID, that's not the time to really force your hand if you're a player because they can always ro- rotate back to the hundreds of millions they lost during last year. They're going to try, even though the Braves numbers are reported as making a million dollars, that barely equates what they lost over 2020 season. So, like, you're going to see owners play real hardball, take losses in the short term, in the court of public opinion, and, you know, court of public opinion and in the books short term, but it's really going to be the players who cave you know, whether it be a couple of weeks from now or a month from now, when we start losing real games, it's going to affect everybody else except the ownership. And, and James, you're right, James. Thanks for your thoughts. Uh, yeah, thank you. You're, thank you're you. absolutely right. The owners have all the power. The players are going to cave at some point. And the next time we have to go this, uh, go through this, it's going to be at least this painful. If not worse, it's going in the wrong direction. And But let's not forget, it's the owners that are paying these salaries to people like Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, I'm not saying the guy doesn't deserve a payday, but, yeah, you know, he is, what is he, fifth on the list, Mike Trout's on the top. But, you know, if they're willing to shell out that money for their star players, they should be willing to come up on the minimum salaries, and that's where it starts for me. Well, there's really no middle class anymore in baseball. No. It's, you know, the gazillionaires and then the guys scraping by – and it's an interesting point that, that uh, James makes because they seem unified, and they seem more unified, the players, than, than ever. But mm. Max Scherzer is on the committee. Um, when he starts losing six-figure checks every week or every two weeks, uh, uh, and right. it's not in the direct deposit anymore, um, at what point does he say, well, do I really care about trying to get an extra 
$50,000 or whatever for, for entry And that's level. the shame of it. Sure. And that's the shame of it. Um, and, you know, Simeon's on the board, too. Yeah. And then conversely, Mark, at yep. the entry level guy who, you know, makes more money than most people listening. But right. if they're, you know, you're checking in at 500, 600,000 a year and you start losing those, those, you know, starting tomorrow, they cancel games, which you are not going to make up. So we're still a month away from, from the season, supposed, you know, starting. Right. But if they, if they hold fast to not making those games up, you know that how much you're losing with the, with each time they cancel games. So, that's, right and and make no and make no mistake you know neither you or I are crying for the minimum salary players for the amount that they make however that is based on probably what is going to end up being a short career and the lifetimes work to get to where they are yeah no doubt and and look and, and you know meanwhile are you writing those season ticket checks you know to the cubs to the Sox, to whichever team you follow i yeah you asked the question, Jesse, Jesse, and I, I'm with you. I don't know how you quantify it, how much damage is being done because it is all abstract percentages and, you know, here's 50,000 here and, you know, 1 million in, in com, uh, competitive uh, tax, balance tax. You mm-hmm. know, it's mm-hmm. a soft cap. And, and you need an accountant, an accountant to go through these proposals and, and tell you really what's going on because your mind just starts spinning with all the percentages on, on all the different issues. But it's all about money. And meanwhile, your ticket prices aren't going down. And James just said it. You have to buy this, you know, streaming service to get this. And they have local blackouts for that. So it's. And and this is where the damage is going to get done, right? You've got these casual fans. The challenge of the MLB is to convert casual fans into lifelong fans. And that's harder to do these days. So then this is happening while there's a big money grab because. Yeah, you know, obviously the prices are going up, as you just said. Streaming, you want to start watching. And don't think that Marquee is the only one that's going to be doing this. I don't know about any other teams. They must be at some point. But this will be the model going forward, I think, with a lot of these teams if they really set up their situation right. So it's just asking more money out of us. And well, and this is what we're supposed to be loyal to? Well, the Dodgers cashed in the big the big cable contract. They were the first ones, right? And well, I mean, then the Yes Network with the Yankees had been going on, but they were the ones, right? And okay. and they didn't care about the fans because they just saw the the huge check they were getting. But seventy five percent of the fans in LA couldn't even get the Dodgers on TV. Now, to the Dodgers' credit, they took that money and they spend every year, and they're they're always in conversation for whichever top free agent is there, whether resigning their own guys or and they haven't necessarily built a neighborhood. To celebrate the Dodgers around uh, Chavez Ravine. Exactly. Yeah. Well, no, they still leave in the seventh inning to be traffic. I mean, that's you know, well, that's part of being a Dodger. Go get your Dodger dog, and then make sure you're out of there by seventh inning. Yeah. Um, but that's it. I mean, it's. But meanwhile, Tom Ricketts was crying throughout the pandemic about how much money he was losing, the family was losing. And I don't well, think no, anybody believes that anybody with a oh, half a brain in their head. Well, no one saw the pandemic coming, so you can spend your billion dollars to to own Wrigleyville and build up you know, own all the businesses and rooftops around it. But that was your choice. And it made business sense until there was a pandemic that didn't allow anyone to come and, you know, buy your beer and, and sit in your seats and everything else. So it, it was, you know, it, 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 meanwhile, the franchise is what they spent 850 million bucks. It's probably worth 4 billion right now. Now mm-hmm. it's not liquid. I mean, that's not right. money that, and they're not, 
they have no, any intention of selling. But any even bad sports franchises and bad baseball franchises start the bidding at a billion dollars, right? Right. I mean, and and they're making and look if they're bad doesn't mean that they're losing money. They're not losing money. No, it's just you know they're not making maybe as much as they'd hope to be making at this point. Meanwhile, I don't even the you know the third of teams that are tanking they don't discount the tickets if they put a minor league product on the field. They're still change, uh, charging major league prices. And, you know, and this is of, where if uh, at, at some point there's going to be a breaking point with fans yep. where the owners are going to start feeling this. Well, they you would hope to. so. I mean, yeah. you know, Yurko had been saying it all through last season. He wouldn't buy a churro out, out of Wrigley Field, you know, around Wrigley Field, let alone go into the ballpark. If you're not going to be committed to winning and, and be, you know, act like a big market team. That's how you can speak. Yeah, because yeah, you're, you know, they're charging hurt. top five prices for tickets, yeah. and that hasn't yeah. changed. You know, the only way you can say is like, you know, that's not good. I'm not paying that $200 face value for a box seat on a weekday game because it, I can go watch Kane County Cougars if I want to. Uh, and being uh, ESPN 1000, being the home for your Chicago White Sox, when we do see them play on the South Side, I think fans like myself and and many others can see that they're trying, and the money. Uh, you know, that we'll spend enjoying the product, we have good confidence that they're really trying to reach the next level. So it's it's a case-by-case basis. But as far as Major League Baseball altogether, it is really not doing fans and the growth of the sport any favors. Well, Jake's probably going to strangle me because I, I haven't had a break the entire hour. So let's take a quick break and come back. <laughs> 312-332-3776, back on ESPN 1000. He's Mark Zander. I'm Brian Hanley. Len is in St. Charles joining the show. Hey, Len. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. One thing I'm, thanks for my, my, it. Hello. Yeah, yep. go ahead. As a, as a professional, just a, a worker, I sit here and listen and say, these guys are minimum salary of 600000 and they're scraping by. But then I think of my, my baseball background, and I understand this it, it's a short-lived minimum salary, and – you don't understand the plight that these guys go through to get to the bigs and the, the working right. conditions at the minor leaguer and how yeah, how poorly they get paid and uh, and whatnot. So I, I understand fight for every cent and and get what they can. That's what it's about for them. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks Len. Call, it's, yeah, thanks, know, they're, Len. They're, yeah. they're also Mark. They're Absolutely. also trying to improve the, uh, the the plight of the minor league players too, and yep. you got to drag the owners on that too as well because they don't care if five of them are living in the same apartment eating. Velveeta on, on white bread, you know? So, yeah. And that, and that's, and that's the disconnect. That is a very, very small uh, look into the big disconnect between the billionaires and the millionaires and the thousandaires. We and, want to and, uh, wrap up our yeah. Twitter poll questions before we get out of here. And Jake can yeah. too, our great producer. This is home home cooking right here on the MVP question, right? Who's your uh, MVP to this point in the NBA? Oh yeah. I mean, it was not even close to Marta Rosen, right? <laughs> With yeah. 79 Point six percent, and I mean the, the second one, Joel Embiid, thirteen point five percent, was the closest one. And then and with, uh, where did oh, other yeah. land? Where did other land? Two point seven percent. Okay, that's what I thought. When you get a Demar on the uh, uh, Twitter poll, and then you have another, there's no there's no chance for other for sure. And uh, the Ryan Pace fan club, Matt Nagy fan club, who's going to be happier <laughs> as they move uh, back to who's going to have more security? Success. Yeah, it was a little bit closer, but Ryan Pace takes it 55%. Uh, Matt Nagy behind at 44.8%. See, I don't agree with that. And here's why, Brian, because you, you're right. Does Patrick Mahomes actually need a quarterback coach? So 
what Matt does or doesn't do isn't going to affect Patrick Holmes or uh, Patrick Mahomes, and he's going to get credit for it. Which is is why he got the job here in the first place. Right, right, because he, whatever credit he had in developing Patrick and and the quarterback situation down there, Alex Alex Jones, right? Was it Alex Jones? Alex Smith. Smith. Um, Jones Smith. Um, So – so that was what got him here. Now he's back there. He got his old job back. What it's going to mean? Actually, what is he going to contribute? We'll never know. It doesn't matter. He'll get the uh, he'll get the credit because Patrick Mahomes is going to be Patrick Mahomes. Hey, well, he better hope that Andy Reid stays healthy. Uh, we got to get out of here, and uh, we will be back next Sunday. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for calling. And uh, yeah, thanks, Mark, Jake. Also, thanks, Jake, and Mark. We'll talk next week. Uh, yeah, it's we'll been do a, it. A blast. We'll do it again. Yes, ESPN we'll 1000. ESPN 1000. First Midwest Bank, a division of Old National Bank's State Street Studio. This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good Karma Brands radio station.